Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I love Awaken Church. I am so grateful I would not be the man I am today, I wouldn't be a husband, I wouldn't be a father, I wouldn't be a leader if it wasn't for this church, for our pastors, Jurgen and Leanne, who are like spiritual parents for me. And who knows that the healthiest homes have both a father and a mother's voice in them. I'm so grateful for both of their voice to hear wisdom, to hear truth, to hear both in this house. And I'm, I'm so grateful for this campus. And Pastor Matt and Loren, you lead so well here. And knowing you guys for the past almost 10 years and seeing you as the youth pastor when we only had two campuses and how you grew that ministry and knowing personally the lives that you touched uh, in that and then just seeing the fruit and the expansion of this campus and the beautiful lives that you're touching here. It's just such an honor to be on this platform tonight. So I'm gonna start off with a challenging scripture tonight and, uh, and I love that this house is a house not of practice what I preach, but a house of, listen, I'm going to go practice this in my own life, experience the fruit of it, and then I'm going to come and tell you about it. So there's nothing I'm going to talk about tonight that I haven't experienced first myself. So I want to kind of temper that with this. And I promise you that this message is going to be encouraging, life-giving, loving, love-building, but I'm also going to talk about some challenging subject matter. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how many of you have young kids or have had young kids or been around young kids at some point in your life? Okay, all of us at one point have been a young kid, and I have two at home right now, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and I bet most of you would agree, probably all of you would agree, that young kids don't always know what they want. And even when they think they know what they want, they don't always want what's good for them. Right? Okay, so I want to talk about inheritance tonight. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God as being an inheritance. But an inheritance isn't something you get when you die. An inheritance is something that you receive when somebody else dies so that you can live a better life, right? So if I was preparing to give my young kids an inheritance, a sizable inheritance, it would make sense for me to want to put some guardrails around that inheritance so that when they received that sizable inheritance, they didn't train wreck their lives with the inheritance. That makes sense? Okay. So Jesus taught his disciples, which is also us, how to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, right? As it is in heaven. So when Jesus talked about receiving the inheritance of the kingdom of God, 
He meant that he wanted to get heaven inside us today so that we would be prepared to walk into heaven tomorrow. Make sense? Okay, so turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6-9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who submit to or perform homosexual acts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to break this down. Now remember, I promise this message is going to be life-giving and encouraging, okay? And I've been all of the people that Paul talked about in that scripture, so I'm not pointing fingers without having three pointing back at me. And I know the power of Christ to heal, transform, and to give that kingdom to people who were once those people, okay? Okay. I can say that because I live in that kingdom. So let's look at this group that he mentions. So first, the sexually immoral adulterers and men who submit to or perform homosexual acts. I think it's really interesting that that category he didn't refer to as an identity, he referred to as a behavior. All of these other things are mentioned as people who are associated with behaviors, but that behavior specifically is associated only with being a behavior. Just for the record. Okay. So, and by the way, this is New Testament post-receiving Holy, Holy Spirit scripture. This is not Old Testament law. This is after the day of Pentecost. Christ has already gone and delivered his promise to his people. Okay? Okay. So, is sexually immoral, adulterers, men who submit or to or perform homosexual acts, this group says... Instead of trusting God's plan for my relationships and my sex life and honoring my own body, soul, and spirit and the body, soul, and spirit of others who I have sex with, not to mention the souls and spirits of others who may be affected, I'm just going to do what I want. Okay. Thieves, the greedy, and swindlers. This group says, instead of trusting God with my finances and for my provision and being my brother's keeper, I'm going to take what I want out of my distrust of God and my own entitlement. Wow. Nor idolaters. So instead of trusting God only, serving him and his people and trusting that I will be taken care of in every way that leads to a healthy, prosperous life, I'll lay down and worship other things that I will believe will leave me more fulfilled nor verbal abusers. The word means those who criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. Those ones say, instead of adopting God's heart and God's spirit that always seeks to raise others up, I'm going to cut others down so I can step up on top of what I've sought to tear down because I believe that it's the only way I'm going to get a leg up in the world. So... In my life, many situations, many things shaped the way and the feelings that I had towards myself and the beliefs that I had about life and the world and my place in the world. And those beliefs shaped the way I interacted in the world. I think that's the way it is for most people. 
my relationship with my dad, who abandoned me during my parents' divorce, who was deeply narcissistic, who was abusive, and who never would listen to me, but only talk about how my mom was the worst person in the world. And it didn't matter how well I performed, getting soccer trophies, getting medals in swimming, all of that stuff was just like, Dad, please just say I've got what it takes, that I'm like worth it, that I mean something to you. And it would always be, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, it would always be like, Morgan, listen, you know your mother. <sighs> you know your mother did this, your mother did that, your mother, you know you are so much like your mother. You know you look like your mother. Nothing I did was ever good enough for him. And I hated him. But I also desperately longed for him to notice me, for him to care about me, for him to be interested in me, and for him to show love to me. You know, and in that, there, uh, I looked for love in a lot of the wrong places, and I got a lot of things wrong. I had, uh, my mom had a boyfriend who molested me when I was five. I blamed myself for what happened because I felt like I didn't do enough to fight him off. I didn't want to fight him off because I didn't want him to reject me. And I never told anybody that until literally last year. It was something that I was so buried in me. And I heard Pastor Jeff Forbes talk about his experience with molestation at Emerge. And I was like, oh my gosh, it explains so much. And then there were kids older kids that sexually abused me in the neighborhood that I grew up in, and then other kids that were my peers, my own age, that I experimented sexually with when I was young. And I experienced pleasure mixed with shame. But because there was pleasure in there, I couldn't completely deny that the experience wasn't at least a little bit enjoyable. But the aftermath of it was friggin' terrible. And I blamed myself for all of those things. I think a lot of us who experience trauma will build walls around our hearts to protect ourselves from just self-destructing from all of those confusing thoughts, from the pain, from like the self-hatred and everything else that goes on that it's better just to just be numb, which kind of made me a really ripe candidate to step into all kinds of addiction with drugs and alcohol and with other things after I got sober from drugs and alcohol, addiction literally ran my life because wow. I was running from my life. Wow. But though I had uh, like a stone wall built around my heart, I had open borders on every other area of my life, wow. on my physical body, on my emotions, on my spiritual life, my body, my soul, my spirit were all open borders that I would let anything in desperately looking for the connection, which was the one thing I couldn't get because of the wall around my heart. And looking for love, looking for connection in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways, I would tolerate abusive relationships. I would go back to abusers, even sexual abusers, because I was afraid of rejection. And I believed this lie that I would somehow be able to get a good result if I just managed better. And I was one that, you know, my relationship with my father was jacked up. My relationship with my mom was loving, but there was also a distance. 
that I lost my faith in, uh, in my mom when I found out that she lied to me about Santa, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy when I was five years old. Because I figured that if she lied to me about that, then she was probably also lying to me about God. And if God didn't exist and there was no wonder in the world, then I had to be the final judge of truth in my life. So I relied on myself for truth and for connection, and I kept getting it very, very wrong. So as an adult, this carried into adulthood, and I had girlfriends from an early age, but both with girlfriends and with just friends, I had a really hard time connecting. And because there was this secret shame that I carried, the enemy's minefield is your mind, and he just had a field day with all of the accusations that he had against me. That the reason that it's not working out with women is because I really should be with men. And I tried to find connection with men, and I failed there too. But there was that old friend, pleasure, mixed with shame, that just ended up compounding this web of lies that were built around my heart as a defense mechanism to keep me safe in the world. So, you know, if you have a judgment towards sin, if you see somebody that is in sin and you feel anger towards them rather than feeling compassion, you're doing it wrong. And I would offer this, and I mean this because I've experienced this myself, then I was guilty of something that I saw somebody else doing. It made me feel righteous to be angry with them. But when I finally let Jesus in and started to build a relationship with him, and he started to untangle this mess of lies that had been suffocating my heart. I started to receive healing, and I also started to be able to extend healing. And instead of finding judgment, I started to find compassion where judgment used to live. That makes sense? So I really hated the idea of boundaries. And my wife will tell you that when we first married, we first got married, I, I hated the idea of boundaries as like a word. And I had a mentor that was like, well, if you don't like the word, use a different word. <laughs> so I started using the word standards because standards made sense to me. I had been one that had been so starved for connection and looking for connection in every unholy way possible that the idea of building boundaries, it felt to me like I was trying to keep people out when all I wanted to do was let them in. I hadn't quite figured out how to really let them in. And I also hadn't figured out that boundaries aren't meant to keep people out, they're meant to protect what's inside. But if you don't believe the thing that's inside is actually a treasure that's worth protecting, you'll let anybody just run in there. 
And that's the way I dealt with boundaries. And so for a while, I called them standards. Now I'm perfectly fine with calling them boundaries, but it was something that I needed to start doing was building healthy boundaries. I believe my life is a treasure. I look forward to waking up in the morning. I have two beautiful children. I have a beautiful wife. I have an incredible life that God has given me to steward. And I don't think that it's something that I'm just going to let anybody into. They're standards that build a wall of protection. But in that wall, there's a gate. And I get to be a gatekeeper of my life. That makes sense? So the first step in unraveling that tangled mess around my heart was to start to know the truth. And in order for the truth to be true, it had to be actually always true. So the world's gotten really into uh, subjective truth. And if the truth is not always true, it's not actually true. It's just, you know, people will say, oh, that's my truth. Language is really important. Because though it may be true for you, something that's true for you or something that you like is just, you know, normally considered to be a preference. So instead of like, you know, anchoring yourself to something that may change, instead of calling it your truth, maybe just call it your preference. It'll be, there's a present for you. I wasn't going to talk about that, but there you go. So... There's been a huge attack on language and there's been a huge attack on identity in our culture, especially recently. And I don't wanna harp on this too long, but I think it's a good way of introducing what I actually wanna talk about. So we see it in the trans movement, probably most apparently, and I don't wanna harp on it, but it's a big issue in our culture today. And I wanna give you some facts. I was asked to speak about this last week to the youth in a service at Balboa, and I did a lot of research because I'm not one that wants to condemn. I want to actually know what the truth is. So here are some facts. I've heard the argument that there are people that are born with both male and female parts, and that is the excuse that many people will give you for the trans movement. And there have been studies done where the information is very skewed. But if you look at peer-reviewed science, the actual occurrence of that happening is .0018% of the human population a very, very small number, like a thousandth of one percent. And, uh, you know, I want to look at that percent and I want to ask this question. You know, there are people born with all sorts of deformities. I do not believe it's God's intention. I believe it's the result of living in a fallen world. But though God didn't intend it, I know from experience that he can heal anything. All right? I've seen it. I've been it. So there's physical deformities, people born with no arms, no legs. The question is, should the entire population of the world be redefined because of a small percentage of people that are born with a condition? Wouldn't it make more sense, instead of generalizing, to actually see those people as individuals like God sees them and be their brother's keeper individually rather than trying to abnormalize the entire culture to normalize something that wasn't God's intent. 
if we don't believe God at his word, and if we haven't seen the power of the gospel to actually heal and transform, sometimes in our need to help a person who is struggling with a unique condition feel better, we'll normalize something that we were meant to heal. Some of the worst laws, philosophies, and theological ideas are often developed in response to a few people's pain. Here are some quick facts from scientists dealing with this issue, and then I want to get into the solution, not just for this issue, but for every issue. Still with me? Okay. So I looked at some scientists and what they say about this. There's a uh, doctor here in Utah, Dr. Maureen uh, Kondik. She's a PhD from UC Berkeley. She is on the United States National Science Board. She's an associate professor of neurobiology and anatomy at the University of Utah School of Medicine with an adjunct appointment in the Department of Pediatrics. And she says, natural organization is the defining feature of an organism. In organisms, the various parts are organized to cooperatively interact uh, the, whole, the welfare of the entity as a whole. Organisms can exist at various levels from microscopic single cells to sperm whales weighing many tons, yet they are all characterized by the integrated function of parts for the sake of the whole. This will explain this a little bit more. So Dr. Michelle Critella, president of the American College of Pediatricians, said the norm for human development is for one's thoughts to align with physical reality and for one's gender identity to align with one's biologic sex. For human beings to flourish, they need to feel comfortable in their own bodies, readily identify with their sex, and believe that they are who they actually are. For children especially, normal development and functioning require accepting their physical being and understanding their embodied selves as male or female. So God doesn't make mistakes. There are things that happen in this fallen world that are not God's intention. But God also enables us, his disciples, he gives us his spirit, he gives us power to carry out his will here on earth, which is that we should all be in health and flourishing in every way, just as our soul prospers, we're meant to be in health and to prosper. You with me? So the journey of life with God is to discover the reason you were created the way you were created, the reason that you have your abilities and your interests. There's never been a time where God says, oh shoot, I gave him an innie when I should have given him an Audi. I hope he finds a good surgeon and gets on the right track. In the course of human history, that's never been a thing ever until very, very recently. And there was a study done in Sweden about how effective these surgeries are on people that experience them years out from the surgery. And they found initially that there was a little bit of a bump in people's self-esteem, meaning that they became hopeful that this would be the solution that they were looking for. But after 10 years, the statistics are horrific. Do you have that slide? So they said the mortality in these people was 19.1 times greater than in the control group, people that didn't experience this surgery, and it was primarily due to completed suicides. Death to neoplasm and cardiovascular disease was increased two to two and a half times as well. 
and it didn't become apparent until after 10 years, and the risk for psychiatric hospitalization was 2.0 times greater than the norm, and they cannot exclude the reason for all of these things was because of the therapeutic measures that these people experienced. This report, by the way, was by the, uh, by a, a group put together by the Obama administration to study whether or not Medicare should pay for gender reassignment surgeries. So this isn't the like ultra-conservative right-wing group that is trying to oppress people. This is Obama's people at, at the CMS and the Center for uh, Behavioral Services. So anyway. The world promises a lot of different things, but it doesn't deliver. The enemy will twist and confuse matters in, such a, in so many ways that there are so many layers upon layers of delusions that it's really hard to find a way out. And even with language today, I don't know if any of you know the term microaggression or trigger warning, but they're very prominent today, especially in the university system. And there's this brilliant book, if you like to read, called The Coddling of the American Mind. It was originally written from an article in The Atlantic, which is a very uh, liberal magazine. But it was written by scientists that actually noticed that in the university system that there was so much more mental illness than there ever had been before, and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. And they found that there were all of these terms that had been introduced where everybody was looking for a trigger warning and that trigger warnings on books that would just be like normal books that are meant to challenge the thinking of the people that are reading them that have been read for like decades, like The Great Gatsby has a trigger warning because it, it includes scenes which include misogyny and so if somebody grew up in an environment where there was a misogynist that might have been emotionally abusive to their parent, they could be triggered. But the trigger warnings isn't helping protect anybody. It's actually causing massive anxiety in people that are expecting to be triggered by the things that they're reading. And these triggers didn't exist before the trigger warnings existed. <laughs> And there's this other term called microaggression, and I, I had my first experience with this term the other day. A friend of mine posted a poll on Instagram, and she's a public speaker, and uh, she is half what in Canada are called as First Nations people. Here we would call them Native Americans. And she speaks on behalf of Native American groups frequently, and so her question was, has anybody who speaks ever been given the compliment, you're so articulate? And it was a yes or no question, and I said yes, because I'd received that compliment just the previous week from somebody that came up to me after I preached a service at Balboa and said, oh my gosh, you're so articulate, thank you so much. She thought that that comment was a microaggression. That the person, whether they were aware of it or not, was actually saying, I was surprised to find you articulating. I didn't take it that way. I just took it as like a, hey, I've got like 15 seconds to try to like say something nice to you because I feel like you just impacted me and you put words to something that I couldn't put words to. Thank you for doing that. 
But when people are constantly getting reinforced that they should be being triggered, and then there's all of these blissfully ignorant microaggressors out there trying to aggress against them, it creates anxiety. But it's just a tool of the enemy to confuse thoughts, and instead of looking at our neighbor as our brother, to look at them as a potential aggressor that we need to be worried about. It's the craziest thing. So anyway, you guys are familiar with Yelp, right? Yelp is a place where people give reviews of businesses, whether they like them or dislike them, and they'll sometimes post warnings if there's things that people should be warned about at the business. Or they might post something that's like, oh, you got to try this. This is like a must-try thing. The Bible is full of these same types of messages. And I don't know why people are totally accepting of Yelp, but are offended when (laughs) Paul says that people that are doing this stuff aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God because it's not meant to be condemnation. It's meant to be an invitation back to the foot of the cross of like, hey, if you're living this way, you've got it wrong. There's something in your understanding that you don't understand. A perfect, loving father has a really good life for you. Not just in heaven someday, but on earth today. It's here if you want it. But if you keep doing these things, like the kid that spends all of his money on candy, it wouldn't be wise for a perfect, good, loving parent to continue to give him money if that's what he's going to spend it on. If I'm just going to squander my inheritance in a way that's going to harm me, it would be better if my good, loving father withheld my inheritance until I was matured enough to be able to accept it. Make sense? Okay. But the enemy has sold a lot of things that are like a counterfeit kingdom, saying that you're going to find hope in these things that are only going to be destructive. So my message today is called Escaping the Counterfeit Kingdom. So in Matthew, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he replied, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So I want to talk about this idea today. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. You with me? First one, love God. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. I want to give you a suggestion, both for the Bible and also for ministers at this church that are speaking into your life. If you're like my friend that's constantly looking for trigger warnings and microaggressions, you can find them in the words of the Bible and you can find them in people that are discipling you that are challenging wrong ideas that you might have. There's this new type of psychology called affirming psychology where psychologists just affirm ideas that their patients already have. It's the most absurd thing because affirm and psychology should never be attached in a sentence, but whatever. When I knew that Jesus was real and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, 
I made a decision to live as if the Bible were true, whether it made sense to my natural mind or not. To test my thoughts against the truth of God's word. And when I started doing that, that's when my life started to transform. You can't love somebody you don't trust. You can want to love them, but unless you trust them, love isn't going to be there because there's going to be a block to relationship. Does that make sense? So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. So second, love your neighbor. You know, 1 John 4.19 says that we love each other because God first loved us. The way that I'm able to love other people is to first have a relationship with God where I know that he actually loves me, where he's not just a figurehead where I'm trying to get my life right with him so he'll one day accept me, but I actually see him as a loving father and me a lovable child. And I know that a good loving father will mature his lovable child in his time and in his way by his power. That I don't have to know as the child of how that's going to work out. I just have to trust in the one that's maturing me. And as, as I grow, that love that I understand that he has towards me that's greater than anything I could actually think, I start seeing the bigness of it. And as I'm enveloped by that love, I become a conduit for that love into other people's lives. Make sense? So the third one is love yourself. And here's the, a place where the Bible tempers itself because it doesn't say love yourself and then love your neighbor. It says love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not love your neighbor more than you love yourself like some codependents try to do or love yourself more than your neighbor and then give him the scraps but love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that word as literally means at the same time. And what I've found is as I've learned to love my neighbor, I've actually learned to accept love as well. As I've become loving, I've had a greater revelation of being loved and being lovable. And one of the things that we do in recovery is we go through amends. And we'll go back and amend broken things in relationships in our lives. And the rule is to not go out and expect the other person who may be 95% at fault to apologize to us. And this isn't even an apology, it's an ownership of the 5% that I got wrong in that trusting that God has already forgiven me and fully loves me and will provide for me whether or not the other person changes what they're doing. But I've decided that I'm going to trust God at his word and not try to exact vengeance on my own. I'm just going to extend love as he's extended love to me. And so I go out and I take responsibility for that percentage that I was to blame in stating my mistakes and asking for forgiveness. And what I've found is as I've done that, I have received forgiveness. You know, there's a lot of limited teaching around forgiveness. And I've heard people preach about how you have to forgive yourself. 
and I do believe that you do have to forgive yourself, but I'll tell you from experience, the way that I forgave myself was to forgive others and to make amends for the harm that I caused. Because I wasn't just going in front of a mirror and saying, Morgan, you're a good person. I forgive you. Because when I would say that, I didn't feel it. But when I went out and said, hey, I wronged you. This is specifically what I did that was wrong. Is there anything else that I've left out that you need to tell me about or that you want to tell me about? Do you want to tell me about how any of this affected you? And then what can I do to make this right? Not what can I do to earn your forgiveness, but what can I do to right this wrong? And when I went out and did that, I had a list of a couple of hundred names and it took me about a year and a half to get through that whole list. But when I walked out of my last meeting with my last person, I felt more loved than I've ever felt in my entire life. And I felt bulletproof against anything that the enemy could throw against me because I didn't have secrets anymore. I didn't have things that I was holding on to anymore. I didn't have grudges and I didn't have shame. All of that had been dealt with. And I'll tell you, I believe that the greatest way to forgive yourself is to go do that. You might know that the, uh, there's that, that frequently quoted verse, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind in, uh, in Romans 12 too. I love how it said in the message version, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it even without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. He will make the person that is worthy of an inheritance, not by works, but in love in his time by his power. And Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. The world will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Don't change who you are to fit into the world. Instead, discover and use the gift that God has put in you to overcome the world. You with me? Okay. I wanna end this with a little exercise. So can I get everybody to bow their head and close their eyes? You know, there's hundreds of things in the Bible that God says are true about you. I've made a list of 25 of them, and I want you just to repeat after me, okay? I am blessed. I am God's child. I am his friend. I am important. I am redeemed. I am free. I am beautiful. I am restored. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am a saint. I am his heir. I am made in God's image. I am gifted.
I am valuable. I am purposeful. I am strong. I am courageous. I am formed by God. I am victorious. I am known. I am bold. I am his masterpiece. I am loved. I am the light of the world. Now you can open your eyes. If while we were saying these, and I know there's people in here that felt this way because I would have felt this way the first time that I looked at this list. If those things came out of your mouth and your first thought was not true. If your first thought was, I'm not deserving of that. I haven't earned it. I'm a fraud. If he only knew, I'm gonna go through this, but I don't believe it. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Is there anybody like that here? God bless you, you're honest. God bless you back there. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, 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 God bless you. There's a lot of hands going up here. I know that we struggle sometimes with the things that God says is true about us. And this isn't like positive affirmation. This is speaking the truth of God's word over your life. And I don't want to encourage you just to stand in front of the mirror and say, I forgive myself, I forgive myself. Because honestly, the Bible says that you don't have the power to do that, that God has cornered the market on forgiveness. But you can in full authority of heaven on your life, the authority that Jesus gave you, look in the mirror and say, I am forgiven. It is a different statement than I forgive myself. You with me on that? Okay. So I wanna pray for, for you really quick and then I'm gonna open up the altar. But I know that forgiveness comes through God. And I had to first have a relationship with God in order to start being able to say those things with authority. So if you're sitting in here tonight and you think, oh, you know, I know about God, but I don't know God in the way that he knows God, I feel like there's something that I haven't really trusted yet. And you want to pray with me tonight, can I get you to raise your hand so I can pray with you and recommit your life to Christ or commit your life for the first time? Is there anybody like that in here? Well, for anybody that's raising their hand in their heart, I wanna pray. You can just repeat after me. Father God, I thank you that you so loved me that you sent your only son on a rescue mission to save me to transform me and to give me a life that's heaven on earth. Father God, I thank you that you've brought me into a loving community. God, I pray that I would be open to receiving all the gifts that you have stored up for me, not just in heaven, but here on earth. Open me up, surround me with people, and allow me to be a conduit 
of your love to invite others in to your kingdom as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.